Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe Gaona with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And we're here to intellectually think of arguments and does it make sense in the worldview that you live in. We will look for truth as we articulate history, science, archaeology, and philosophy. And the question is, in the reality that we live in, does your worldview make sense Today, our topic will be abiogenesis, spontaneous generation. When we look at abiogenesis, a means non-bio life and genesis beginning, no beginning of life. When we think about spontaneous generation, life from non-life, think about that. We are trying to find life from non-life, inanimate material, organic molecules that will bring forth life. It's never happened, but I want to talk about the history of this. Now, the ancient Greeks said living beings originated from inanimate materials. Aristotle wrote in the 4th century B.C., So with animals, some spring from parents, animals according to their kind, while others grow spontaneously and not from the kindred stock. And of these instances of spontaneous generation, some came from petrifying earth, from vegetable matter, as in the case with the number of insects, while others are spontaneously generated in the inside of animals out of the secretions or of several organisms and there was this was Aristotle on the history of animals book 5 part 1 now as we move on forward we go all the way back all the way up to 1962 the 17th century with Francisco Reed he was an Italian physician a naturalist a biologist And he was the first person to challenge and refute the theory of spontaneous generation going all the way back to Aristotle. Now, Francis Reed, in 1668, he begun his experiment with three jars and he placed meat in every one of them. One jar was left uncovered, one jar was covered with a gauze, and one jar was covered with a cork. And they begin to see that after a few days, flies and maggots spread in the uncovered jar. But the jar that had the gauze had maggots on the gauze, but they did not survive. 
From this experiment, Reed argued that this experiment with maggots only appeared on the open jars, which meant that the maggots came from flies and disproved the spontaneous generation. He concluded in Latin, Omnum vivum ex vivo. All life comes from life. It wasn't until 1745, 77 years later, that John Needham, a Roman Catholic priest, conducted another experiment to prove that living organisms could spontaneously generate from non-living matter. To conduct his experiment, he broiled broth that contained animal and plant matter. He concluded that boiling would kill the organisms and they would, uh, that, that were living in the broth. And after boiling the broth, he sealed it in a flask and he let it sit for three days. And after three days, he observed that the broth was cloudy and he used a microscope and he found that there was tiny organisms living in the broth. And it's here he suggested that since boiling killed all the organisms and the flask was sealed, that these organisms spontaneously generated from non-living matter. Well, if we go forward 20 years later, there was a gentleman named Lazzaro Spallanzani, an Italian guy. He wanted to refute Needman's theory through experiments by properly heating the broth and then comparing the sealed broth with unsealed broth. However, Spallanzini's experiment was inclusive to some, because they argue that Spallanzini's method boiled the mixture too long, and by sealing the flask, air was not allowed to flow through to create some type of life or spontaneous generation. And so that would be in hold for another hundred years. It would be a hundred years later from Spallanzini's spontaneous generation would soon be brought to the test in the science labs. There was a man named Louise Pasteur. I'm sure we all heard about this guy in school. It was in 1862. So remember, a hundred years later, the French chemist, the microbiologist, biologist, would answer the hypothesis, could organisms arise spontaneously? Maggots, gnats, old cheese would produce mice, and old cheese or dirt, frogs would come spontaneous out of that. So he did the experiment that he conducted. He boiled meat broth in a flask, and he heated the neck of the flask, and he shaped it into a swan neck flask, so air couldn't just drop in. Well, air could come in, but bacteria couldn't just drop in because of the swan neck that was on there. As expected, no microorganisms grew, went down into the flask, but you can see it growing on the edges, on the, on the edge, on the outward side of it. When the flask was tilted so that broth could reach the lowest point in the neck of the flask, it's then, it then became cloudy and you can see that the germs and bacteria begin to grow. The experiment proved both that spontaneous generation was false and that microorganisms were, were everywhere, even in the air. So when he had that swan flask pointed down, flask pointed down, nothing happened to the water. But as he began to tweak that swan flask, 
so the air could come in. It's when the water began to cloudy, thus proving it to be so. Well, nine years later, we get Charles Darwin, and he wrote a letter to Joseph Hooker in 1871. Now, this is Darwin's quote, and he said this, But if, and oh, what a big if, if we can conceive in some warm little pond with all sorts of ammonia and uh, phosphoric acids of salt, light, heat, electricity, that a protein compound was chemically formed, ready to undergo still more complex changes. You see, Darwin and his associates could not comprehend the implication of a cell containing 3 billion base pairs data of information, let alone 40 trillion cells in our bodies. And it's Charles Darwin who died in 1882, but 80 years later, from the letter written to Joseph Hooker, we begin to see the Miller-Urey experiment in 1953. So what he did to see if you have spontaneous generation or a or biogenesis, he sealed a glass apparatus with gases, with methane, ammonia, and hydrogen, trying to mimic or simulate the Earth's atmosphere 4.5 billion years ago. The conditions that they brought were in the early atmosphere, and also they used water vapor to simulate the ocean. And next, while a heating coil kept the water boiling, they struck the gases in the flask with high voltage. Below was a water-cooled condenser that cooled and condensed the mixture, allowing it to fall into a water trap below. Now, while they were doing this, chemicals were used to stop contamination at the right given point. You see, all impurities that interfered with the compound bonding were actually isolated. Well, now they say that Miller experiment was not to show how life originated, but to show how can the simplest building blocks of life come to be. So the first known racemic mixture was derived from a lab a racemic amino acid from a handful of small molecules. The problem, of course, is in all known life, we need left-handed amino acids. Since 1953, when he did that experiment, in the last 65 years, they've been doing thousands of lab tests and have been done in the lab. The problem is we haven't formed molecules for life they formed right hand and left handed amino acids but in order to bring life we need only left handed amino acids the proteins in all living things from the simplest to the most complex are made up solely of left handed amino acids even just one right handed amino acid to protein structure it would corrupt and cannot be used for life. I hope you be with us on the second half as we continue talking about spontaneous generation. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics 
and we'll be back. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85% of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona, on K-Praise. How you doing? This is Joe. Glad to be back here on the second part. We're talking about spontaneous generation, or abiogenesis. Can we bring life from non-life, going back to the fourth century B.C. with Aristotle, and now with the Miller experiment in 1953, they found that proteins in all living things from the simplest to the most complex are made up solely of left-handed amino acids. And even if just one right-handed amino acid added to a protein structure, it would be corrupted and could not be used for life. And that was the problem with Miller's experiment. It brought forth left and right-handed amino acids. So now we have Charles Darwin's book that came out in November in 1859. The title, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. As we look at the inference to the best explanation in the Miller-Urey experiment, we need to look at assumptions, intelligent design, DNA or protein, what came first, information, and precondition for intelligibility. The starting ingredients, they base their starting chemical mixtures on the assumption that the early, that the early earth had a reducing atmosphere, an atmosphere that contained no free oxygen. And these were the starting blocks of life. Now we know, we all, at least we believe now that there is way more oxygen than previously thought. And then when we talk about the methods used throughout the experiment, Miller relied on years of what? Of intelligibility, intelligence, research, and chemistry. And he purposely chose which gases to include and which to exclude. And when we talk about the other hand, the left and right handed, that's in full. We know that all proteins that have been investigated obtained from animals and from plants and from higher organisms and from very simple organisms like bacteria, molds, even viruses are found to have been made of left-handed amino acids. But they are incapable of assembling themselves without the assistance of DNA. You see, the function of DNA is to store information and pass it on a transcribe to an RNA, that it's passed and transcribed to an RNA. 
And while the function of the RNA is to read, decode, and to use the information received from the DNA to make proteins, the question is, what came first, the DNA or the proteins? When we talk about information, any hypothesis or model meant to explain how all life evolved from lifeless chemicals into a complex cell consisting of vast amounts of information also has to explain the source of information and how this information was encoded into the genome. All evolutionary explanations are unable to answer that question. When we talk about preconditions for intelligibility, information has always come from the mind. This is what we know as we test, observe, that in order for cells to have so much information, it had to be guided and produced from a mind, a precondition for intelligibility. So we get this cell theory. Only cells could produce more cells. Cell theory is one of the basic principles of biology. Credited for the formulation of this theory is given to German scientist Theodor Theodore Swan, or Matthias Schilden, or Rudolf Victor. Now, Miller and Urey experiment was in 1952. One year later, Francis Crick and James Watson discovered the double helix structure of the DNA. And it wasn't but 10 years later, in 1962, that Francis Crick and James Watson received the Nobel Prize in the discovery of the double helix structure of the DNA. So for the next 20 years into present, I want you to, I want to read a quote from you from Francis Crick. Francis Crick, a British physicist, a molecular biologist, and a neural scientist, Listen to what he quotes. He makes this quote. He says, An honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now can only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have had to have been satisfied to get it going. And so we begin to look at Francis Crick as he now stops looking within the earth and he starts looking out in the atmosphere, in space, and they, they begin to look at panspermia. Pan meaning all and spermia meaning seed. Now the first thing that comes is radio panspermia. Radio panspermia was propagated in space driven by radiation pressure from the stars. And then they came up with lithopanspermia, the transfer of organisms and rocks from one planet to another. And then they had a thing called accidental panspermia. This was a cosmic garbage, right? The life on Earth might have originally uh, originated from accidental pile of waste producers dumped on, on Earth long ago. How? By extraterrestrial beings. You see, this is where we come to. This is where we come to a justifiable answer when we begin to talk about abiogenesis. You begin to look on earth, 
you can't find the answer, next thing you know, you're talking about aliens from somewhere out in outer space must have contributed to life. Now, Crick and Orgel in 1973 um, made a hypothesis that life on the Earth may have been seeded deliberately by other civilizations. And when they talk about other civilizations, they mean somewhere in outer space. Francis Crick, who lived up until 2004, he was an author of a book called Life Itself, Its Origin and Nature in 1981. And then he wrote another book, Francis Crick, in 1988. Can you guess what the name of that book was? The name of the book was What Mad Pursuit. You see, he writes as a biologist, Must he, he writes this, and this is his quote on page 138. He says, a biologist must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but rather evolved. Think about that. He says, I want you biologists to remember constantly, keep that in your mind, that what you see is not designed, but rather evolved. I like what Psalms 8.3 says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you would visit him? The law of abiogenesis, life does not come from non-life. Life does not come from inanimate material. You see, every person will have to make the most important decision that they will make in their life. And what's more profound, there's only two choices. You see, either you came from pond scum made by random chance, and chaos. You know, pond scum, you have to look at it as a waterhole of mud, grime, chemicals, as it's laid there for millions of years, if not thousands. And then all of a sudden, for no reason, lightning hits that pond. It's as if you were rolling a dice for millions and millions of years, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, by random chance and snake eyes, you, by random chance and confusion or chaos, you get snake eyes on the dice seven times in a row. No purpose, no direction. You see, we have never seen this. Scientists have never seen this. Real science is testable, observable, and repeatable. The other hand, we can look at an all-powerful God, eternal, intelligent, personal, made in the, that me and you were made in the image of God. God said out of all the animals, the stars, the galaxies, the waterfalls, that you are not made a mammal, but a human being made in the image of God, imago Dei, that God made you for a purpose, that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were knitted together in your mom's belly, that he knew you personally. He knew your will, your emotions, and name, and he made you to live forever as a created being with purpose 
value and dignity. I like what Psalms 139 says, for you formed the inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and the souls knows very well. My soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they are all written the day's fashion. I want you to think about this. Abiogenesis and spontaneous life. It cannot be so. There is an intelligent designer. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics, and we'll see you next week. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. 